Hello everyone and welcome to the 6 p.m. Bible study. We want to welcome those of you that are joining us on podcast at Mike Springston FFC Podcast where we coach you in the Word. Uh, We appreciate all those of you from around the country and internationally that uh, check in with us and uh, are studying along with us. You're a blessing to us. We want to give you the opportunity to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com. MikeSpringstonMinistries.com, FMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. So tonight we're moving forward in moments that change the life of a believer. And so we welcome those of you that are joining in. And of course we see Sharon and James and Tammy there, and we're glad to have you all. Um, I want to remind you of my book, I surrender. It's available on Amazon and at your local bookstore. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get right into the teaching. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then may we correctly apply it to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear son. Jesus, we sanctify ourselves, yield ourselves, and surrender ourselves to your voice. Show us through the Holy Spirit what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. We'll receive it and release it to your people, and from there we'll be changed, transformed, corrected, brought into a foundation where we can, in fact, become into the image of you. We give you praise and honor and glory for all that you've done in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Brother Jim, I appreciate that recommendation. Um, This morning, in the morning message, I mentioned something in my sermon concerning the humanizing of Jesus Christ, and I related that to to Nazareth as written in Mark chapter 6. Now, I forgot to mention another way that an attempt was made to humanize him. It was done by a most prominent minister during the vaccination situation that was associated with COVID-19. The minister said, Jesus would have taken the jab. This attempt is his attempt to bring Jesus strictly into the realm of being human. He didn't require the jab, friends. He would not have required the jab under any circumstances. He was living under a promise And he knew exactly where the promise was taking him. Uh, We must be very conscious of how our world, our churches, and even our church leaders attempt to, while using common things, if you will, to make Jesus to function as if he were only human. His human side would have negated his divine side if he were tied to only what he could do in his flesh. We know that that is very, very far from being anything that is real concerning the Word of God. The divine side is the side to which he was operating in as truth, and that side of him was as divine and as real, more real, really, because it remained whenever his flesh was cast away. In the end, as I said, it becomes more real and has stood the test of time, as he resides as the man in the Godhead bodily today. Now we're going to get into part two of our message of moments that change the life of the believer. I see uh, Christine and Joey come on. We welcome you. 
We enlisted Paul's writings to the Galatians as we began this teaching. He leads us into the message by describing that we need to stay away from anything that becomes another gospel. Paul speaks in, in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, into the grace of Christ, and you're willing to be removed into another gospel. Now, yesterday we discussed the name of Jesus as it related to this matter. Let's enter into another gate and see what we can find out concerning how the apostles would have handled the commandments of Jesus Christ. Let's go into John chapter 20. What we're going to locate here is the exercise of the authority being given to the spirit, soul, and body of which Jesus has complete dominion and his name is the source of that dominion. Now in John 20, 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. For what purpose did Jesus breathe upon these men? Well, they had been with him, they had studied unto him, they had followed him, but they had never been through the required work that could only be completed once the blood was shed. They could have had no relationship to him directly through any application of grace unless John 20, 22, and 23 occurred. So he breathes into their inner man a changed spirit. This changed spirit would eventually burn out all the dross that had in its being relation to any of the old law, the old legalism, the old religious operations, if you will. It would change them and then it would transform them. The time between change and transformation was soon closing. So Jesus says to them, after their inner man has been breathed upon anew, and after change has occurred, now concerning the issue of sin... It is obvious that their sin has just been brought under the submission of the acts of Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit has replicated a change in their inner man, in their spirit. That has to be so or Jesus would not have addressed what he states to them in verse 23. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Your ministry as we stand here, if Jesus was explaining this at this moment, now has the ability to deal with sin. You have been privileged to be told all of the things that I have taught you. Now you have the right to tell, to see, to identify, to discern that sin has been put forth from someone and that it has been removed from their life. Or that sin has not been removed and therefore it is retained and remains as the spiritual system under which they function. How would they have accomplished this? Well, by the response that they made to the actions of Jesus Christ and those actions were all preached and identified in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 
If they responded by gladly receiving the word, by being overwhelmed by the understanding of the message that Peter had preached, then their sins would be remitted. Now remember, these were Jews. They were there for a festival and a feast uh, at Pentecost. And here these are hearing Peter preach about a man who was approved by God of whom they took and crucified. Then Peter begins to outline all of the works of Jesus beginning in verse 14 all the way through 2.38. He outlines specifically all of the acts and replications of Jesus. If you go in there, you'll find that he tells them about the cross. You'll find that he tells them about Jesus being risen from the dead, meaning he was in a tomb. You'll find them about talking about the deliverance that came from the tomb. You'll find him mentioned in there as the Holy One or the High Priest. You'll find him called the Lord, and you will see that he is seated at the right hand of God, so we know that Peter preached through all of the six acts that Jesus did from the cross to the tomb and before as he told them about how they had taken him and crucified him. But that in all of these acts that Peter is preaching that becomes the doctrine of the apostles, he shows Jesus Christ right through the list. And we, of course, know that in each of these steps a phase of salvation was defined. So how would people accomplish being able to be known and seen as either being remitted or retaining. Well, they would gladly receive the word of God and they would be overwhelmed by the understanding of what the message that Peter had preached. And if they received that, immersed themselves in it, which they had to because they totally changed their religious ideology. By the end of chapter 2, they totally changed what they were immersed in in terms of a belief system. They went from a religious ideology of Judaism over to a belief system that believed in the six steps that Peter had preached concerning the actions of Jesus Christ. What a story. Now, if they walk away, which many of them did, all but 3,000, having not gladly received the message of the actions of Jesus Christ and having allowed the Holy Spirit no room to replicate those actions in their spirit and in their lives, then it was very easy to determine that they had retained their sin, their relationship to the old religious ideology. Notice in verse 41, what had caused the 3,000 to be in receipt of this message? It was Peter's word. It was the message that he preached. It was the six steps, all of the steps that related to the actions of Jesus Christ. His message when received changed their heart. It washed away their sin. It washed away their past. It washed away their old religious belief system. It washed away their old ideologies. It washed away their old rituals. It washed away all of the old things. 
and it changed them until they would be immersed into those six steps that took Jesus from the cross to where he became the man in the Godhead bodily. What a mighty change, what a mighty immersion had happened. And in verse 41, we see that they gladly received that change in their heart. The sin was gone. The blood activated grace. Grace was received gladly. What had happened here? Peter's message has overwhelmed 3,000 listeners. How could this occur? Was Peter that persuasive of a speaker? No. But the Holy Spirit was. He is the one who we know that Jesus taught would do the convicting and the convincing of the world. If the man will surrender and yield and sanctify himself, the Holy Ghost will speak. He overwhelmed them with the knowledge of truth, and for the first time, the replications of the Spirit of God had ministered the actions of Jesus Christ into the hearts of those who heard the message of Jesus Christ. Were they done learning? Absolutely not. They were going to go through the development of these stages and steps, but they were immersed into what Jesus had done. The name of Jesus had been preached. The acts of Jesus had been approved by God, and the Holy Spirit responded to 3,000 seekers, 3,000 hearts who were open, convicted, and convinced that this man, Jesus Christ, had not only been crucified wrongly, but had been risen from the dead, become the high priest, the Holy One, became Lord, and now was seated at the right hand of God. What a message. Why was this? Because Peter declared his name. He declared his person, he declared his actions directly into their hearing. He could now say, without a doubt, that their sins were remitted because they believed on the name of Jesus Christ. He could also look at the multitudes and know that their response to his message and the message spoken through him by the Holy Spirit left them unmoved, unrepentant, and therefore their sin remained. Their response to the word was the indicator. Now my friend, that's sad commentary for the many that walked away who were willing to have no encounter with the man that Peter so deftly and accurately described as the man who was approved by God. They had grace and truth, those that walked away and determined that sin, that the old way, the legalism, the, the old law, the ritual, all of that was better. What a tragedy. So the process is quite easy and quite clear. The outcome on the day of Pentecost is very easy to trace. Now wait a minute. Someone is saying that sounds like a Catholic doctrine of how the papacy or the fatherly or certainly uh, those things that they relate to abstention from sin. Not at all. Jesus had taught them concerning the vital fact of believing on him. So this teaching is applied and connected to this statement. Those saved gladly received his word. Those lost with equal gladness walked away and chose to be unchanged by the word of truth. Now remember, the apostles are not going to do anything to alter or make their own things 
greater than what Jesus began to do and to teach. So sin had a fact that had been taught that they knew had to be met to be able by Jesus' teaching to remit sin. Then the opposite is also true, of course. The baseline of believing on the actions and operations of Jesus Christ is the foundation by which they had spoken the words of Jesus concerning whether one retained his sin. So what was the thing that believing meant that could be seen and evaluated by the, the apostles? Were they joining, following, and representing obedience to the commands of which Jesus Christ began to do and to teach? These were the principles that were, the, were developed and acted upon by, and became the doctrines of the apostles. So now let's look into a doctrine. It has a very large following in our current day. I'll not deal with the doctrine of the Trinity yet. I'm going to versus uh, uh, Jesus only because there is really there is really no need to, to deal with a discussion that addresses this thing because it's easily identified in Scripture. Let's look at the use of the name of Jesus as the means by which one is baptized. Did the apostles use this format or would they have kept with the teaching of Jesus himself as provided to us in Matthew 28? Well, so far... Everything we see certainly points towards Matthew 28's teaching because they were charged to be obedient and keep his commandments. This was to be the means by which their love would be shown to him. If they did, they loved him. If they did not, then they didn't love him. Huh? Beyond that, they would have forfeited the indwelling of the Father and the Son, as well as the manifestation of the Son, had they been obedient to what Jesus directly taught. And I don't think stepping outside of those commands would have been worth it, do you? Not to them, based upon what they knew and what they were directly told. Now to our current day, we have very little or no relationship to the power of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute in terms of his manifestation. So stepping outside the word and making man-made assessments and teaching them as doctrine wouldn't be anything unusual in our modern day. They would do so and they would think that when they did it, they did God a favor. Remember, there will be no natural activity that's going to conjure up a spiritual response. Now let's go in to a major question here. Hi, Shirley. Music, music that leads one into a so-called spiritual experience that's reflected in the fact that they dance and they thump to the beat of the music. That is a reflection of a man-made stimulus. This becomes an emotional form of self-satisfaction. It can be found in other natural acts. What would they be? Well, we find the same emotional responses of self-satisfaction in sexuality. To some, it's in food. To some, it's in spending money. To some, it's in doing daring acts uh, that are, could be deadly if you don't pull it off. But they're not spiritual at all. They're all done under the form of emotionalism.
Therefore, once completed, they have along with them an exhaustion factor. You will become disenchanted with a sexual partner eventually and move along to another conquest. You will come satiated with food eventually. You will spend money and exhaust your funding. All of these come with an exhaustion factor. They have a satisfaction factor, but they have no spiritual connection. So the person that is engaged in these is left as if in the same position emotionally, exhausted, nothing to show for it prior to what it was they did. In this case, their outburst of spirituality in dancing and worshiping. These, by the way, often lead people into some really deep problems. Why is that? Watch this. Because they see these as spiritual activities. Now, when sin attacks, they see themselves as spiritual. So the sin, the lust of the flesh, pride of life, or the lust of the eye, must be something that is all right for them to interact with. Here's the rationale. I am able to get in the Spirit on Sunday, even after I sin. So God must have accepted me because I can go in and by an external stimulus, jump up and begin to dance, jump up and begin to wave my hands. And so God must have accepted me as I am and in my sin. Because if He didn't, this manifestation of spirituality would not be occurring in me. But if I'm able to go and do something that, 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 that resembles spirituality and feel it in my emotion, then, bless God, I'm all right. The sin that I do in the world must be covered by grace. Unfortunately, as I stated this morning, Nothing external will ever produce anything that has any capacity to influence the internal that is related to anything spiritual. If you dance, shout, and carry with spiritual intention, my friend, in the emotion of it, that's not going to profit you anything. Because all spiritual com comparisons only are compared in spiritual places. They're internally organized and internally operated. For, the for this purpose, Jesus said, now watch this, he didn't say out of the organ, out of the guitar, out of the piano, out of the drum, out of the, the trumpet, out of the, he didn't say that. He said out of your belly is going to flow a river of living water. Spiritually to spiritually, spiritual to spiritual. It's an internal ministry and an internal ministry alone. So what happens then? Internal ministry will not flare up based on external stimulus. We attempt to do this every week in churches all over the world as we select music to attempt to complete our worship. This becomes very shallow in nature. It is time sensitive. In other words, the emotional response will only last. During the course of time, the beat and the music are being played. Therefore, we can say unequivocally it has no long-lasting spiritual effect. Why? Because it's external stimulation that will not resonate into your spirit. It will resonate in your soul and it will resonate in your body. 
It does not take one to the inner heart of worship. Now look at David. David enters his courts with thanksgiving and praise. I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Well, now that sounds good, doesn't it? But when we got into the courts... When we got into the what is known as the outer court, praise was no longer appropriate. Huh? Because there he had come to worship. What did he and others that came like him do? Well, they were forced to get down to business with God. They worshiped with a sacrifice. That blood that was shed for their ability to be atoned for, for the sin that they had uh, done whatever that specific sin was whatever that animal was that was sacrificed they had to get down to business with God the praise stopped when they entered into the courts we are to be that sacrificial with ourselves according to Romans chapter 12 my friends we fail deeply in doing this we choose to remain doing the same thing of which we did as we entered the gates because that's easy to do that's convenient to do. That is something that I feel an emotional attachment to. And we will remain the same if we continue to do that. And we will leave exactly as we came. Why? Because we never sacrificed and worshipped Him. We never honored Him. And we never gave reference to being, reverence to being in His presence. We never bowed the knee of our heart to Him for who he is and what he's done and where he is seated. No, no. We chose the easy route of praise and praise has no means to enter into worship and do spiritual to spiritual change. We want to bow to what sounds like him from the beat of the song and we want to bounce and dance and be led by the beat. We want to do the things that we're uh, done as we were entering. What is the result? As I said, we come and go with no legitimate spiritual change. So how do we change? How do we worship? Well, my friend, we have to make the priority of honor and reverence. We have to make the priority of leaving the thing that is convenient and easy. Now listen carefully. If our methods of worship or our methods of praise and praise and worship as the church, the global church, is currently using it, the way we've devised it, then I have to ask, you, ask some questions. Why are we struggling with our sin nature? Why are we struggling with being engaged and involved with sin to the extent we are? Why are we sick? Why are we diseased? Why are we often discouraged, unhappy? Why are we often destitute? Why are we living in such poverty? Why are we anxious? Why are we oppressed? Why are we depressed? Why are we broken? Why are we bruised? Why are we blind? Why are we living in bondage? Why do we lack the joy of the Lord to do anything? 
as if we were doing it unto the Lord? Why does the Word of God, when preached, not move you with the same force that the music does? So why, when we are encumbered with care, does a song seem to minister to us instead of the Word of God? Aren't these good questions? Why is singing so easy to do for those who have done it? And I'm one of them. But yet preaching and teaching of the Word of God requires study, time, prayer, and dedication. Why do we have such demonstration concerning what the music is doing and then no real interaction with the Word? Then why is there ever friction in the house of God? Oh, we could go on and on and on. There are more sorts of these sorts of questions. They all can be asked. Here's what I want you to see. Correct worship relates to and fixes all of these scenarios. It stops the wandering heart, my friend. It ministers to the need that is in every one of you for the divine. The divine does not come by beat. The divine does not come by music. Inside of you is a spirit that is seeking the supernatural. And the only means for you to get there is through worship that is correct and fixed on him. It stops the wandering heart. It opens communication to the divine presence of God that is life-transforming, my friend. It is the place from which he speaks. Now, how do we know that our current day worship isn't moving in that direction? Because he's not speaking. He's not speaking to us. He's not speaking through us. He is not speaking. Therefore, we have to ask ourselves, have we incorrectly designed and devised worship? Well, let's continue. What's the result here? Now, if Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now, let us come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we come to the throne of grace? Do we come through praise? No, no, no. David did not come into the court and begin to continue to praise. He began to sacrificially worship. Through the worship of his names, what happens when we come in worship? We find the application of grace that's required to meet our need. True worship accomplishes this because God's Word declared it to be that way. I'm going to close with this. Where in the world did God's Word declare how true worship would operate? John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, do you see it? True worshipers shall worship the Father in a very particular way. What is that way? They will worship him in spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we worship by comparing our discerning of ourself and our inner man from the spiritual development 
that we are working on in the Word of God, in prayer, in our reverence to Him, and in our honor to Him, and we come into the spirit world and we say, search me, O God, search me. See if there be anything in me that shouldn't be. Now the Holy Spirit desires, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 27 and 28, to develop Christ in you from what Christ is searching in you that the Holy Ghost is going to reveal to you that will bring you into the will of God. The outcome of that will be that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. But in order to get to verse 28, you've got to worship correctly. You've got to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this coincides with a worship then that is stimulated by the intensity of how our spirit cries Abba, Father. In the spirit world, that is so intense that we are worshiping to know the direction of God and Jesus Christ alone. That will be transformed in us until we come into the image of His dear Son. Lastly, then we worship in truth. What is that? We worship in the divine side of Jesus Christ. You say, show it to me, Pastor. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, and you'll have to see it there. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, all of our weaknesses, all of the things that the church is tied up, tangled up, and wrapped up with and can't seem to get rid of. But yet we have a man who is a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we don't know how to get there. Why? Because we've never passed into the heavens in worship to the place where Jesus, the Son of God, is ministering in his position both of high priest, Lord, and man of the Godhead bodily. So therefore... We need to see him in the representation of his divine side. You see him represented to us as the high priest, but we don't recognize him in this divine status because we have no means to enter the throne room of God. Therefore, we have no means to apply grace and mercy. I heard a prominent female preacher today say, you must live at the foot of the cross. Huh? Did Hebrews 4 tell you to live at the foot of the cross or come into the throne of room, the throne room of God boldly and there encounter the high priest? Huh? Come on now. We're bigger, better, and stronger than that. We've got more knowledge about the word of truth than that. Only way we're going to get there, friends, is to learn how to prioritize our worship. Now we can see here why our people are dying early dying unhealthy or living unhealthy and living unproductive Christian lives. We simply do not have the worship component and the worship perspective within the framework of our understanding. So now, we know what's behind all the outbreaks of, quote, quote, the Spirit. It's a man's iteration which means his repetition of their pronouncing their spiritual self to the world, to the external, as to what their relationship is to God, while they continue in the internal to live in sin, covered in doubt and unbelief, and openly disobeying the Word of God. 
What's the result? Well, Paul has told us the development of another gospel. It's a foundation that is built on emotionalism. Its outcome is always captivity. Its condition is the weakness of being deceived. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. I wish I had all day, but I have to pause now because my time has passed. I pray that you'll minister the Word of Truth to your people and that as you minister the Word of Truth, Father, we might desperately, desperately, with intensity, begin to find the way to sacrifice ourselves in worship and bring our heart under the suspect microscope of him that searches the hearts and then find out from the Holy Ghost what it is we need to fix so that we can live in the will of God and so that all things can in fact work together for good for us. I praise you now and I minister to you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ was our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. I see Shirley and, and uh, Michelle uh, on there. We want to thank all of you for coming on. We'll be back again because there's more to be taught on this. One of these days soon I'm going to get done. But what the moments that change the life of a believer, that's what I'm preaching on here. The moments that change the life of a believer. They can be changed adversely. In other words, they can be changed in a bad way. They can be changed in no way. Or they can come into the moments when the Word of God speaks into their heart like the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and be overwhelmed by truth. That's what I'm praying for you. May God richly bless you. Have a good, safe week. We'll be teach concluding this in a podcast and on Facebook this week. Uh, please, Tune in and watch it. God bless you is my prayer and God bless those of you that are watching on podcast and find Him as Lord. There you're going to find Him and He will bring everything in your world to bow, including you. Find Him as the man of the Godhead and from there He'll show you great and mighty things that are to come. May God bless you until we speak again.